We are the painters and poets, city workers and stay-at-home mums, the students and singers, gardeners and golfers, lycra lovers, old and young, from all different nations, backgrounds and situations. We are cities on a hill, instruments in his hands, lights to a fallen world, illuminating the darkness with the beauty of the gospel. In every mundane moment, when you're surrounded, or when you feel alone, you are never alone because the Father is watching and the Spirit is stirring and the Son is calling us on. He's calling us to live for Him. In every dreary commute, in every nappy change, in that moment when your tongue is bitten so hard that your teeth almost go through, when you held your anger and chose to forgive rather than to stew. Because we can feel like ants, seemingly insignificant, but together fulfilling our purpose and building his kingdom. Because we're called to be stars and supernovas, blazing lights, beacons of hope, signs all across the suburbs and the city, like billboard posters saying it's all for his glory. Because we're ambassadors, hope bringers and life givers in every circumstance and situation. Because there is meaning in every moment. And every moment has a purpose. We're called to let our light shine. Because nothing is meaningless if the motive is Christ. Because God has redeemed every part of our lives. So whatever you do, shine. What will you be doing this time tomorrow? We're starting this whole series today, Whatever You Do, and it's all based on this idea of whatever you do with the bulk of your time. And it's all based around this premise that whatever it is you do, it really does matter. And it really does matter, not just this little bit that you're doing here for an hour and a half church stuff, but the stuff that you do with the bulk of the majority of your time. And it really does matter. Why? Because of the gospel. If I was to ask you, what's the gospel? If I was to ask you to turn to the person next to you and say, this is what the gospel is, most of us would say something along the lines of, the gospel is the good news of Jesus, which it is. And if we were to unpack that, we'd say the gospel is the good news of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which means we can now become sons and daughters of this family. We can become part of the family of God. Now go and tell everybody else about it. And if you said something like that, that is true. That is the gospel. But the gospel is also much bigger than that. The gospel is this story of creation and fall and redemption and consummation. And this is where this whatever you do fits right in. Because we are part of this big story of creation and fall and redemption and then consummation where Jesus will come and wrap it all up at the end. And the whatever you do with the bulk of your time, is the way that you play out your part in this great big story. 
which is why we've pulled together all these different resources to help you. John mentioned it a few moments ago, the whateveryoudo.blog, you can get to it that way through the website or through church app, is full with resources, it's got devotional stuff to help you each week, new stuff going up, different things to pray through, different things to think through, some Bible stuff, some thoughts to help you, some ideas to shape you, and we want to really encourage you throughout this series to make the most of that, whateveryoudo.blog, whole load of things, because what you do really matters. And it's not just about me standing up and saying this or some other people who are going to take part in this series over these next few weeks on the 30 30 minutes a week saying it matters. Everything you do matters. And so we want to create, we've created a whole load of resources to help you in that. So please do check it out. If you found uh, your Bible, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start here in verse 22. This, whatever you do, it really does matter. It says, this is Paul writing uh, to the church in Colosseum, which is in modern-day Turkey. And his line of argument in the whole book of Colossians is chapter 1, Jesus rules. Jesus reigns. He's talking about the absolute authority and supremacy of who Jesus is. He's in all things. He's over all things. He holds all things together. It's all about him. And then chapter 2, Paul goes on and he says, And you were rescued, and you were redeemed, and you were made alive in Christ Jesus. And so now all your past is forgi- sin is forgiven. Your present is now secure, and you have now a future destiny, a future eternal hope. But we're not there yet. We live in this middle bit, in the now and the not yet. And we're supposed to live, Paul says, on this, in this journey, if you like, of faith and obedience from the now and the not yet. We're in that section of the redemption part of the story. And so in chapter 3, he then says, put on the new self. Live it out. This is where we find ourselves in verse 22. Bond servants. It's a word in, in Greek. It means doulos. Sometimes it's translated as slave or servant. But in this context, bond servant is this idea uh, of someone who is bound to serve a particular boss or a master for a specific period of time, usually a lengthy period of time. But they're also someone who nevertheless might also own their own property or achieve social advancement or ultimately be free. Bond servants, those who work for someone, who have to, who have like a boss or a master. That's like most of us. Obey, bond servants obey in everything, though, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Flick back to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to uh, zoom in on verses 14 and 15. Do all things, whatever you do, do all things without grumbling. I wish that wasn't there. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. And everything you do without grumbling, without moaning about it, shine like stars in a dark and crooked generation. Flick back now to, to Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus speaking here in these very famous verses from verse 14 onwards. And he says, You are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's the basic premise of this entire whole series. Because our relationship with God has changed through Christ... Our relationship now with others and our relationship and our attitude to the things that we do in this world, they must change also for Christ. Whatever you do, shine and shine bright. That's the whole premise of where we're going over these next few years. Is, the next few years, these next few weeks, it will matter for these next few years as well. Over these next few weeks, whatever you do, shine bright. You've got to see, we've got to understand that whatever you do with the bulk of your time, it really does matter. And the reality is, is that for most of us, uh, the bulk of our waking hours is spent doing some kind of work. Whether that's paid or unpaid, whether that's in a formal or informal capacity, whether we have a, a job as we might understand it or not, whether we're making strategic decisions in the boardroom, whether we're performing on a stage, whether we're raising children, whether we're caring for relatives and friends, whether we're volunteering in the, in the community, whether we're a hedge fund manager or we cut them for a living, whether we're adding up numbers in an Excel document, whatever it is, it matters that whatever you do really does matter. And I'm not just talking about it matters because it's an opportunity to be evangelistic with it. I'm talking about something much bigger, that your faith connects with your work and your work, that whatever you do, in some way connects with your faith. And I'm talking about why the actual work, what you actually do, really does matter to God, not just as a vehicle for you to talk about God, but the very thing you do itself matters. And as we talk about work in our culture, we've got a whole load of challenges. Two big challenges for everybody in our culture. On the one hand, they're kind of like seemingly contradictory messages. On the one hand, in our world, in our culture, we have this message that work is everything. And yet, on the other hand, we have a, a message that says, well, work actually is meaningless. See, in our culture, work is everything. If you think about it, the first question you have in a conversation with somebody after your name is, what do you do? Immediately, it's like, hello, I'm Anna James, what do you do? And straight away, that's the, that's the first thing people are interested in. And depending upon your context and depending on who you are and depending on your circumstances, we're either embarrassed to answer that question because we don't think what we do is significant in the way that other people think it is, or we don't have a job in the kind of way in which uh, other people th- define successful jobs and all that kind of stuff, or, or we kind of in somehow think that what we do really isn't that significant it's really not that worthy or on the other hand we're like full of pride of what we do because everybody thinks yeah that's a good thing to do with your life and that often changes depending on the circumstances you're in I'm a full-time pastor so it's sometimes when I I, people ask me that question what do you do and I'm in a non-Christian kind of context it just gets very very awkward very very quickly Either for them, and they're like, oh, I don't, I don't know what to say now. I'm really sorry for everything I've just said that's wrong. And, or awkward because they just think that's bizarre. Or awkward for me because they then start apologizing that I couldn't get a real job. And I'm really sorry for you that you're doing that. And all that kind of stuff. And it just gets, it just is, it's odd. Put me in a Christian conference context. Oh, you work full time for the church. Oh, wow, that's like the most amazing thing ever. And that can change from one day to the next. And it changes for you as well, no matter what your context is. I see it all the time with mums. 
You get in some context, if you're a full-time stay, I mean, you're always a full-time mum, you know what I mean by that. If you're a stay-at-home mum and look after your kids, in some context, it's that kind of thing of, oh, you almost feel like you have to defend it and apologize for it as if somehow it is a worthwhile use of your time. Often, well, you should be working, shouldn't you? Oh, okay, sponging, oh, yeah. And then in other contexts, and sadly often in church, it's like you feel like you have to apologize for the fact you work as a mum. It's like, oh, it's not the real thing to do. No, 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 no. Regardless of what we do and where we're at and however we are, it matters. In our culture, we have this problem that work is kind of everything because the second question that comes after what do you do, it's how are you doing? How's it going? And always we give some variation of the answer of busy. Why do we say busy? Because busy means important. And it's somehow supposedly that if we're busy, then we must be doing something significant and must be doing something important. Why? Because work means everything. And somehow, as long as you're busy, it justifies that it means everything. And you throw into that mix the pressure that people are under in workplace. Some, you guys know this. 40% of UK workers don't take their annual holiday entitlement. Other research shows the whole thing of people feeling the pressure to not be away from the office. It's just work, 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 work. This pressure the whole time, this expectation that you'll give your whole life to it. And people are, no wonder we got work-related stress and all the rest of it in our nation. Work has become an idol in our culture. Work, 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 work. And yet at the same time, we have this contradictory message that work is in some ways just a little bit meaningless in our culture. Sometimes it's just something that we have to do because we're not rich yet. Or not rich enough. And as soon as we are, we've been that because it's all pointless and all meaningless in some way, shape, or form. And there's so much cynicism about work. I mean, seriously, like, if you just you think of your context or any situation you've been in where it's team building day and everybody rolls their eyes like, oh, what a waste of time is this? <laughs> Front row made up of staff. We have this, work is everything, work, 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 and then work is meaningless, it's just a bit pointless, it's dog eat dog, kind of just work until you've got enough money, work for the weekend, oh, I hate it. oh thank goodness it's Friday, oh, I hate Sunday, Monday's coming. Uh, we have these two contradictory messages, and then, as Christians, we have a third problem as well, in that despite it taking up so much of our time, this whatever we do, Monday to Friday, we talk so very rarely about it. We don't make this connection between whatever we do and our faith. And so when we talk about discipleship, what we're really talking about often is things that are churchy or spiritual in some way. And when we do talk about work and we kind of think, oh, this is where it's going, we just all need to be better evangelists at work. Or when we talk about gifts, we tend to focus in on the, the churchy ones. Or we make a massive deal out of what people do in church life, but not a big deal about what they do in, in their normal life the rest of the week. Or when we talk about ministry and talk about being in ministry, we tend to think of people like me as being in full-time Christian ministry. And anything outside the church, well, that's not really ministry. That's just stuff that you do to support the people who are in ministry. And nothing could be further from the truth. We've landed in this place of this sacred-secular divide as if there are some things which are sacred and belong to God and some things which are secular which we just have to do in order that we can do the things which are sa sacred which belong to God. And that is not the way the Bible talks about it at all. You see, the Bible offers a very, very different perspective on the whatever you do. Scripture teaches us how we serve God through our work, not just after work. And the Bible speaks these clear and, and radical words to people in the workplace, showing us that even what the world might think of as the most meaningful, menial or non-job jobs are actually really significant and are playing a central role in the mission of God. 
I today just want to lay the foundation for what's coming. A whole bunch of different people are going to be standing up here and speaking and sharing their experiences of a number of different things. And the first thing I want to say is this. Work is good. Work is not a necessary evil. It's, it's not something to endure. It's not something to look to escape from or avoid. Work in and of itself is good. And understanding this starts with understanding God himself, God who is a worker. God describes himself as a gardener in John 15, as an artist in Genesis 1, as a a potter in Isaiah 64, as a shepherd in John 10, as a king in Psalm 145, as a homemaker in Hebrews 3, as a builder in Psalm 127. And God himself describes himself as a worker. And we are made in the image of God who is a worker. Work itself is good. And we were created for work. When God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he didn't just tell him to keep away from certain bad apples. God placed Adam in the garden to work it, Genesis 2.15 says, to work it and keep it. Remember, God said all of this way before the fall. Work wasn't kind of inflicted on us because of some punishment. It all went wrong. Now you're going to have to work for the rest of your life. Work in and of itself, was part of God's original good design. The first purpose that God had in mind for Adam wasn't to read his Bible and pray and be a full-time Christian minister. It was to be a good gardener, to work. And there's absolutely no negative connotations about secular work in before the fall. And that Hebrew word for work shows just what God means. It's a word abad. And what it means, it shows this kind of connotation, if you like, of preparing and developing. Adam was placed in the garden to develop its raw materials, to cultivate a garden, to prepare something. So we fulfill the created purpose of God in the same way, by taking, like, if you like, the raw materials of the world and developing them, nurturing them, and cultivating them. And if you think about it, in principle, this happens all the time. Those who kind of build buildings, architects and builders and all the rest of it, they're taking raw material like sand and cement and all the rest of it, I I have no idea, and creating buildings with it. Artists take color and music and all of those kind of things and cultivate and create something with it. Parents, think about it. Taking something, babies, small people, little things, little bundles of flesh and all natural stuff and cultivating them into young adults and into adults. This isn't an accident. This is God's plan, his good plan. Work is good. And as humans, we're created for it. And we're created for it in God's plan to serve other people, to serve God, to serve other people, and to serve the common good. That's what work is for in God's plan. So work and workers are to be commended. But when the fall happened and sin enters the world, everything gets corrupted, including our jobs, including our work, including our attitudes towards them. It all becomes very self-centered and, and, and essentially driven not by the common good anymore, but driven by greed. It's all about money, money, money. It's all about what I can get out of it. I need, and not about serving other people anymore, but about me. But thankfully, we know the story doesn't end there. Story, creation, this gospel, creation. Starts with a perfect garden, fall, everything gets messed up. It ends in consummation, a perfect city. But we live in this middle bit, the moment part of redemption, this middle part of the story, the now and the not yet. God created this world and he continues to care for it and sustain for it. He continues to meet the needs of every living thing. And it's all working towards the renewing of this material world in the new heavens and the new earth. God calls us to be partners in this work. And we're partners in this work, how? Well, through the things that we say, telling this story, proclaiming this gospel, but also through how we live 
and what we do and how we do it. And there are huge implications of this. Your work, whatever that might be, whether you've full-time, part-time, not employed, unemployed, retired, whatever it is, the whatever you do, it really matters. And I'm not just talking about being honest in it and sharing the gospel. The very work that you are doing matters. It's an opportunity, assuming it's not unethical or immoral or illegal in some way, shape or form. It's an opportunity to bring glory to God and to serve him. Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, for you are serving the Lord. And so nothing is meaningless. Nothing is pointless. Nothing is without purpose because ultimately you're serving God through it and by serving him first you're serving other people and your work matters because it's an integral part of God's mission to this world it's not incidental and this means more than just using your work as an opportunity to talk about Jesus perhaps you remember the story from a few years ago it got reported in the press of the uh, American Airlines pilot in 2004 who part of his pre-flight announcements asked all the Christians on board to raise their hands. So you're sitting on a plane. He says, Christians, please put your hand up. So they all do. And he says, he then asked everyone else whether they were ready to meet Jesus and suggested that if they weren't yet, they should talk to the Christians who have got their hands up. (laughs) Now, understandably, that freaked a whole load of people out. The pilot on your plane asking you if you're ready to die just as you're about to take off. (laughs) Now, I kind of admire his zeal in what he's trying to do there. But your job is not just a platform in order to be able to say things. Our work is a means of serving other people. You see, all work, according to God's design, is service. And so when Christians do secular work, they function as salt and light in the world. Your job is ministry. So often think ministry is just full-time Christian leaders. No, no, no. Ministry is being a full-time Christian. That's what you are if you're a Christian, I hope. It shouldn't be something you switch on and off as you walk through these doors. You're a full-time minister of the gospel, which means you are in full-time ministry, however that looks. And your job is doing that, serving the human community on God's behalf. Work is taking raw material of creation and developing it for the sake of others. So what you do matters, not just as a platform to talk about about God, but the very work and the very doing of it itself matters. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, understood this whole idea of what you do matters to God and the mission of God. He said, there's not this sacred secular divide where the real work of the kingdom is spiritual work and everything else doesn't really matter that much. He said, God has, has not called us, uh, has, has called us not to do holy work and unholy work. He's called us to be a holy people in all the work that we do. And he was asked, how can I be a good Christian shoemaker? And you might think these days, well, we'd kind of inscribe verses on the soul somehow. That'll, that'll pass on the message properly. And he said, no, no, no. You make a great shoe and you sell it at a fair price. What does it mean to be a Christian pilot? Land the plane. <laughs> what does it mean to be a, 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 a Christian teacher or businessman or plumber or whatever it is? It means do the job. Do it properly. Do it well. Create value. Do it as an offering to God and as a way to serve other people. God cares for and feeds this planet. How does he do it? Through the means of people actually doing the work of farming and providing food for other people. God provides shelter for people. How does he do it? By the means of people building houses so that other people can actually live in it. God provides financially. How does he do it? Well, he's ordained it in such a way that he's created it that some people are very good at creating wealth and providing jobs for other people that would provide them financially. And he's says share the profits and don't hoard it all for yourself and and be generous with how you give it out that's the means by which he looks after and cares for our planet 
Now, of course, we never remove the need for proclaiming the gospel and using words, but what a witness it would be for us if we proclaim a gospel of forgiveness and we actually show it in the way we work. That we proclaim a gospel of grace and we're actually gracious towards those that we work with or come in contact with. That we proclaim a gospel of love and forgiveness and radical generosity. And so we love people and we share with them and we care for them and we're generous with it. See, our work matters to God. But it's also a means, about, a means of bringing about kingdom renewal. We see our workplaces as the places God has called us to be faithful ministers of this gospel, to do our work well, to set right the companies and the communities and the workplaces and the situations where we find ourselves and do it in such a way as to point to this coming city where justice will reign, where mercy will reign, and where our work really will flourish. So we have creation, we have fall, we have redemption, and we're pointing towards a day of consummation. There is a coming city where everything will be right. So everything we do now is pointing towards that. We act right. That's our calling. If you're a Christian, that's your calling. That is your vocation, if you like. All pointing to that day. Now, we tend to think of vocation as certain career paths. But we need to understand, actually, vocation, in light of our faith, vocation actually just means calling. And over the past few decades, we've somehow combined vocation and occupation. And so what we've said is that your vocation is your job or your career or whatever it is you do to get a paycheck. And we've kind of split that into vocational jobs. And we know what we mean by that, nursing and teaching, that kind of stuff. And then the money-making jobs, everything else. And if you do the vocational route, yeah, well, good for you. You won't earn that much money. And if you go that route, well, not so good for you. And we tend to say, these people are good people. And these people, well, you're just all about, no, 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 no. Vocation isn't about the career that you go into. Vocation is more about the gifting that you have and the calling that is placed upon you and is given to you by God. Vocation is less to do with the output, if you like, and more to do with that calling. So your occupation or your job is something that, that occupies you for a certain period of time. But your calling or your vocation lasts for your entire life. It's why we don't retire. You might stop your certain job. You might stop the occupation at some point. But your calling, your vocation, is what God has given you. That's why we never retire. We just keep doing it in a slightly different way. And often people make that mistake of thinking, well, retirement is when you transition from doing something successful or trying to do something successful to doing something significant now. Now I've got more time, I can do more for Jesus. I've heard that conversation so much as if somehow you weren't doing it for Jesus beforehand. No, 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 no. What's missing in our understanding is this understanding about vocation and calling. You, you work these things, your vocation, your calling, you work these things within your occupation or the job that you do. You don't wait until you're finished and then think, oh, now I can work out my vocation and my calling. So maybe your vocation, the calling on your life is to fix things or to mend things, or to mentor people, or to help people, or to create wealth, or to be a storyteller in some way, shape, or form. Those things are the callings on your life. They're what you're good at. They're the talents that God has given you. It's like that scene in Chariots of Fire where Eric Liddell says, Little says, he realizes that God's given him a talent in running, and he says, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. Some of you know that in your workplace. You, you manage really well and you feel a sense of satisfaction and pleasure. And then you feel, well, should I feel guilty about this because this is not kingdom work? No, that is exactly where you're in that moment. God has called you and given you these gifts. And when you do it well, you feel the pleasure of God. 
That's when you're operating in the calling of your, of your, on your life with your God-given talents. Those are callings. So being a teacher or a doctor or a, a businessman or a plumber or whatever it might be, I've got that on the mind at the moment. Those things are your occupation. That's the job that occupies your time for a certain period of time and space in your life. Now, sometimes you are in that sweet spot of doing the thing that you, in your job, that is, matches with your calling and vocation. Vocation is to teach people. I'm a teacher. I'm loving it. I feel that sense of call to it. And you're in your sweet spot. But oftentimes, you're not. Oftentimes, you might feel like you're in a job just because of decisions that you made or someone else made. And, and to be honest, it's not my calling. I just have to do it. It's just what I have to, to get through. Well, we need to think about that in that moment and think, hang on a minute. In what ways could our calling, the vocation, the things that God has given me, the talents and skills he's given me, can I use to infuse that job that I have right now? So maybe we're not doing our dream job. But maybe we bring some of our dreams, some of our calling, some of our talents, some of the things that God has given us, some of our vocation to that job. How can I work this out, what I'm doing right now? Even though it's not what I dreamt of or thought I'd do, how can I work this out in such a way as to honor God, use my talents, and serve others? You're called. He's given you gifts. How can you use it in the place where you are, right here, right now? And the final thing to just say about all of this is just, this is all by means of setting up these next few weeks, is that the gospel shapes our understanding of work. All right? It shapes our understanding of work. It shapes how we do the job. So we're looking at our talents and we're looking at our, 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 our gifts and our calling, if you like, and we're deciding how we can be a best steward of those. And this is irrelevant about whether you've got a job or not. How can you best steward the things that God has given you, he's gifted you with? How can you best make use of those talents? And whether you've got one talent, five talents, ten talents, or a hundred talents, how are you going to be faithful in using those things and stewarding those things in kingdom renewal? What's it look like? Well, it looks like excellence. It looks like doing the small things as well as you would do the big things. Whether we're called to the boardroom or the, the factory floor or the, the home or school or wherever it is, we want to do all things as well as we can, pointing to a future, pointing towards the fact that there is a God who knows all and sees all and is involved in all things and is worthy of our worship all of the time. Our worship is not something that's just defined to 35, 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. We worship with more than just our songs. We worship with our entire lives. And so we should be known every bit as being worshippers Monday to Friday as we are on a Sunday. And we worship in such a way as so that people might notice. And even if they don't notice, the one who we're worshipping does notice and does see. And so therefore, we heard it in John's uh, spoken word piece earlier. No matter what we're doing, whether we're changing nappies or whether we're making big decisions on multi-million pound projects, we're doing it as an act of worship before a God who sees all and knows all. And so we do it properly and we do it well. See, we live in a dark and crooked generation. We've just seen that in... And Philippians 2. And we should shine like stars in it. And the gospel teaches us that there really are actually moral standards which go beyond that which we can get away with legally. So the gospel means that yes, we're competitive, but we're not ruthless. Yes, we're to look to increase wealth, but not without genuine service towards other people. Yes, we're to seek the success of our company and the people we work for and work with, but not by cutting corners. See, we go beyond the law at work, we seek to model Christ. Shapes how we do it, because we're doing it under the, for the audience of one. So whether anybody sees that report, ever is going to read that report you've been asked to write, 
or ever is going to see that tax return, or is ever going to see that whatever, there is one who matters who really does, and we live our lives out before him. The second thing the gospel does is it gives us a new identity. Right back to those problems we talked about of work, talking about work in our life. We live in a culture in which there are two potentially destructive outcomes in our work. So if we succeed in our work, whatever we're doing, whether that's paid work or as a parent, if we succeed or as retired, if we succeed by worldly standards, suddenly make loads of money, we're brilliant, we retired and we have the massive house and the dream of playing golf every day and all that kind of stuff, and look at us, we can succeed. We suddenly think, or we succeed in business or we succeed in this, we suddenly think that we've kind of made it. Suddenly think that we're somehow experts just because we happen to be good at that. We're experts in everything now and everybody who hasn't succeeded, well, let me tell them how to do things. We get full of pride. Or we become so focused on succeeding, it's work, 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 that it becomes everything to us. And succeeding is all that, all that matters. And this is every bit an issue, whether you work in the city or you stay at home mum. All that matters is that I make sure that this, everything goes perfectly and goes well. And it really matters to me. And we have this moment where it becomes an idol. And the problem with that is when we find our identity there, at some point that will end. At some point, that job will cease, and you'll no longer do it anymore. At some point, that child that you're raising will leave, and you'll no longer do it anymore. At some point, that lifestyle will come to an end, and you'll no longer do it anymore. And if all of your identity is pinned on that, what happens when that comes to an end? What have you got then? And at the same time, if we're pinning it all on those things, when we fail, we're crushed. We're pinning everything on success at work, and, and we get fired, or the company goes under, or... It's time we're moving to something else or we just don't, we make a mistake and it all goes wrong. If we're pinning everything on that, then we are going to absolutely be crushed. And those two things are all about identity. When we look to find our identity in what we do and how we do it in our job, we're setting ourselves up for failure down the line. But here's where the gospel kicks in because the gospel has freed us from finding our identity in our work. We're not defined by the things that we do, so we have no reason to be proud of our job or our accomplishments, nor do we have any reason to be embarrassed by what we do or don't do. We don't define ourselves by our success at work or by the size of our bank balances or by our promotions or by our public profile or anything else. Similarly, we're not defined by those moments where we get it all wrong, we make a mistake and everything goes wrong. We are now defined by the gospel, by Christ. We are a new creation. Our worth comes from the one who has supreme worth and our lives are now hidden in him. That's why you are worthy. Not anything you've done, but everything that he has done. And that frees us identity primarily in here to give ourselves to everything in every moment, in every season, no matter what situation or circumstance we're in. We give ourselves entirely because I'm not defined about whether I am excellent at it or average at it or not very good at it. My security comes in Christ. And if your worth is based on anything else, it will crush you in the end. It will disappoint you in the end. It will leave you in the end. And you're in big trouble. We've got to find our identity in the gospel, in Christ, because that's the one thing that will never change, will never be taken from us, will never disappoint, will never crush, will never fail us. And the final thing to just say real quick is that the gospel assures us that there is something beyond work. We will never accomplish all we want to accomplish in this life. You're never going to be able to do it all. You're never going to get done everything that you dream of. You're never going to finish everything that you think that's the way it would be. If you work in law, you're never going to see the full vision of justice that you strive for in your life. 
You work in art, you're never going to see that finished masterpiece that you envisage. If you work in city planning, you're never going to see that city, the dream city on this earth that you dream about. But there is a new city coming where you will. God's renovating heaven and earth and he will take all our unaccomplished works and he will accomplish them all. He will see them through to completion. And when we stand before him in a renovated heavens and new heavens and new earth, we will see justice. We will see that masterpiece. We will see that city that we've always dreamed of and envisaged. And despite our frail and flawed efforts, God will say to each one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now I'll charge you with many. That's the consummation. That's where we're heading. So your work really matters. The whatever your work is, whether it's paid or not, whether it's formal or informal, whether you think you have a job or you don't, whatever you do with the bulk of your time really matters. It matters to God and God matters to it. And so whatever we're going to do, this time tomorrow, whatever you're doing this week, whatever you're doing, whether you love your job and it's the dream thing or whether you have a real issue with it at the moment, you can shine right because you're not doing it for the approval of others you're doing it before the one who is and was and is to come and sees all things and is eternally worthy of our praise and our worship and we don't just worship here we worship out there monday to friday nine to five ten to six shift work whatever it is never ending work whatever it is in any context in any moment